Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs. Joining me is a listener who I met when I did an event in Austin about, I guess it must have been almost a decade ago at this point. 10 years, 11 years even. Killer, man. This is a guy, Francois Arbor, whose voice you just heard. Francois was living in a freaking basement, essentially, working hard with his dad. You guys still have a good relationship? Great. Fantastic. Fantastic relationship. Had this idea, you know what? What if we could sell audio, stock audio that people can use in things like their Flash creations, back when Flash was a thing? Freaking bootstrap the thing. Middle of nowhere. No one was paying attention to him. I was so glad that he listened to Mixergy and, and we were introduced because then I invited him to do an interview about how this company that he created with his father, Premium Beat, was doing incredibly well. Years later, he he emailed me and he said, Andrew, I sold the company to Shutterstock. He told me how much he sold the company for. We'll see if he what he can say within this interview. That was phenomenal. Stayed with them for a couple of years. And then a few days ago, I got an email from him saying, Andrew, I sold the business. I've started investing in other companies. 60 investments plus six exits. Guys become a good investor. He started a couple of other businesses. One of them is acquiring other companies. It's called Nolk, all e-commerce businesses. Look at how far you've come. I see the smile on your face. You're proud, aren't you? I mean, it's just weird to talk to you 10 years later, Andrew. It's, uh, you're right. I was in a basement. I remember very uh, vividly. I was pretty nervous too, to talk to you because uh, it was my first interview I had ever done uh, in English to boot, which is right. you know my second language. So back then, uh, you know, I was younger and more and more uh, impressed by, uh, by all <laughs> these things, you know, and, and, but it was a fantastic experience. I remember, um, connecting with so many people after this interview like it, it was crazy yeah. in the comments i remember back and forth and i got probably over 100 emails over the next the years after that i even you know I mentored a few people in there i uh, i people still look at that interview and talk to me about it like oh i saw your interview on mixergy about like and what you said about seo and i was like wow that's probably not really relevant today but that's you know it's okay so you did, yeah, it you was, taught it was yourself PHP, you taught yourself SEO, all this just to build up premium beat the company that you sold. Um, since then, you've started making investments, you've got Nolk where you're buying e-commerce companies, you've got Design Stripe, which is a new company that I don't fully understand what it does. You're not saying very much on your website, but you saw that yeah. I was hunting. And <laughs> he also has uh, Angels of Many, since he's been making a lot of successful angel investments, he's created a syndicate with Angelist. I invited him here to talk about all those things. I want to know how a guy who started out in the basement became somebody who is now so freaking good at building companies that he's he's helping others. And we could do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, oh, and I'm a little nervous about this. One of the emails that you sent me about half a decade ago was how my ads could be done better because you were skipping them. We'll talk about it within this interview about how I'm improving my ads for my two sponsors. The first is HostGator for hosting websites. The second is Rippling if you have... If you have a team of people, I'll tell you later why you should use them. First, Francois, good to have you here, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. From a very posh uh, pool room. This looks beautiful, it's, dude. It's actually my pandemic office. I, I built a, this pool house here for the kids and you know for workouts and stuff like that. And I've been spending way too much time here during the pandemic. It's, it's kind of two different buildings of the, uh, the property. The so, I, uh, so I'm not bothering everyone at the house all day with my calls. You, um, you sold the business for how much? What do you feel comfortable saying here? 
So I'll tell you the amount that they announced because in transactions, you always very often have like the announced amount and then addition, and then they said additional consideration, but the base amount was uh, 32 million and uh, with additional compensation. So <clears throat> I don't, uh, I don't want to give too much info there, but that's so, very, but it was more than 32 million. Fair to say, right? Yeah, Considerably yeah, more, more yeah. I would say. All yeah. right. Let's go back to just how this whole thing started for a little bit, talk about why the company worked out, and then we'll catch up on what you've been doing since then. It started when you were a flash designer in the advertising space. You needed audio for yourself, and you said, I'm going to create what? What was your original vision for Premium Beat? Actually, it started, yes, you're right. Back then, we loved flash. <laughs> it seems weird to say today, but we loved flash. We were making crazy million dollar websites for big customers and big clients with like 3D spinning cars. And, and back then <clears throat> we hired musicians to produce the music because it was considered like, like a TV ad, you know, advertising agencies were selling these things for a lot of money. So we had the budget to hire people to do custom soundtracks. But then after a while, budgets came down, down, down. And then we only have like a few hundred dollars for music per, per, per project. So we essentially decided to uh, go and look on the web what we could find. And the only thing we could find was for a bunch of sites that were selling CDs of music, like 12 tracks per CD. And you have to like put the CD in and then call someone and then negotiate every six months. So I was like, there's no way there's not something better than this. Right. So I started to think about, oh, I know all these musicians I used to hire, you know, that now don't have a job because the budgets came down. They probably would be interested in making a bit of side money, you know, with this project. So I contacted a few musicians and I said, you know what, I'm going to put some music online and, and for flash websites, literally. And it was even called, I think, uh, music for flash or something in the beginning, because I, I really thought this was a future. And that was pre-YouTube, right? 2004, pre-YouTube. So you, YouTube, uh, YouTube succeeded largely because they were built on Flash. Everyone had Flash on their computers. Exactly, Flash, exactly. Flash could play videos well. Yeah. It could play audio well. It, it, it did websites well enough. In, some, in many ways, it was clunky. But what it did to, to websites was allow them to have things, as you said, spin around, have audio and video and do a lot more multimedia without having to ask people to install stuff. So that was your original focus. I think you partnered up with these uh, musicians, as you said. You then had a lawyer. You told me in the past that you spent forever getting the contracts written out because <laughs> what was the agreement going to be between you and the musicians? Oh, we didn't really know at first. It was We, we went back and forth. The thing is like, I didn't know anything about the music industry. And to be honest, I don't really know anything about the music industry per se today either. It's, I know about the sync licensing, the very music licensing for, for ads, you know, and for, for video. So it's a very different thing than music in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, sorry, what was the, the question? I guess the, the agreement was essentially that you were coming up with something oh, yeah. like they keep 60% of the, of the revenue, you keep 40 and you sell individual tracks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So every basically they would put it kind of like an art gallery, right? You put your your works there, and if it sells, we give you a cut of the money. So we started with that model, which was uh, you know we negotiated for a while, and then down the road we in 2013 I had the idea of becoming a Netflix before Netflix in the sense that we were saying why don't we produce our own content? 
why do why do we just go out in the market and you know and 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 get you know the the kind of open marketplace way uh so we decided to start producing and we hired a few musicians partnered with studios in LA and and across the world in the UK and we started buying outright content right and that was a huge revolution for the business because it drove margins way 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 higher higher um so yeah it it progressed the model progressed uh, but i think it was successful for one main reason and that is curation everyone is sick of having to go through millions of things whether it's photos or music or whatever curation is the key here and that's why premium beat was so successful it's because it was based on the absence of things in the like we didn't say we have a million tracks we said actually we have maybe 10,000 because we handpick each and every one of them and when they're like not fresh we we kick them out right so that was basically the counter approach of the market which was quantity and we went with quality and curation weren't you also adding a visual element to the audio so it was easy to see where the beats were it was easy to understand what you were getting before you hit play right yeah yeah of course there was the waveform but we were like pretty I mean I would say the other most important thing was consistency and in yes you could you, you could see uh, where the, the 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 audio was happening but also you could have like a full track you still can actually or loops or 15 30 60 seconds so we were kind of the first ones or one of the few ones to to really have that for every single track and that's only possible if you control the whole if you're vertically integrated right if you don't have any interaction with musicians you can't tell them to do it this way you can't tell them so you have a bunch of tracks that you buy from here a bunch of tracks some some of them have the short version some of them don't uh. some of them have certain rights limitations some of them don't so our thing was like consistency and curation everything was the same price the same rights you couldn't say oh you can't you you can use this track but not for automobile ad because someone has it in asia you right so it's it was a very very successful approach i'm super proud of what we built at premium beat and it's doing well really well right now at uh, within shutterstock so to get customers the first thing you did was i think you bought an ad in a montreal newspaper right an actual paper physical newspaper but that's not what took off for you what was it that got you customers no. youtube what that's what happened so what happened? basically the 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 If I had kept on the flash thing, I would have failed miserably, miserably. I would have sold, you know, a few hundred tracks a year. Um uh, the reality is the 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 appearance of YouTube changed everything because all of a sudden the demand for audio was like tenfold because everyone was making YouTube videos. And because of the 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 YouTube content ID you would getting flagged left and right so we were the solution to that right and so people were like legal music to use on YouTube boom premium beat so Got it. and i i would say a third component that made it massively successful was the blog so we built a blog with i don't know millions and millions and millions of visits a year and uh, i think it, at some point it was the top blog in video editing in the category video editing basically anything you search for how to do x how to do whatever in final cut pro always the premium beat blog. So that was our big big strategy. We had like a full staff, basically a media company within the company. I had no idea you got that big with it. And you yeah. intentionally were hiring people to create mm-hmm. this content when the audience reached out to you about SEO. That was the big search engine optimization technique that was working for you or were you also SEOing the the individual tracks? Yeah, SEO on tracks not not that much. It, 
we were really strong for royalty free music, the keyword. We we're always in top, you know, six up and down, sometimes number one, two, three. And then uh, the blog is re really strong for long, long tail. So any like really specific keywords. And we, we had quite a production uh, machine. It was, it was a really great team. We used you for Mixergy and other projects. What I like about it was it was, it was inexpensive enough that anyone on the team who wanted to buy something could just go and buy it and not have yes. to make a big deal out of it. Even if they didn't end up using it, it was no one was going to be upset. Eventually, though, we saw that the market was shifting towards subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And so somebody yes. would get a subscription and that's the only place that we would go. I don't think Premium Beat ever moved into subscription, right? It did. It did actually. But I, I was working on that before I left. And I think we we waited a bit too much, but, you know. It's when you party. I wasn't the CEO at that point, so I couldn't really make other decisions. But I, yeah, they did quite successfully. I, th I think transition. Oh, okay, to this the was after, subscription after you sold the business. Yes, yes. I think two, two and a half, three, no, even four years after. Why'd you sell? Uh, that's a. I think I sold because I was tired. That's really it. You know, as you remember, I bootstrapped premium beat with my dad you know like me and him we worked like crazy and then I bought back his shares and then did four years without him and that's all I had for a while I was still living in my you know basement no car no house were you dating no I wasn't dating I now I have kids and everything but uh, it, no I was so busy I couldn't, yeah, you had I couldn't no really social life at all it was I mean I had social social life but I I couldn't really maintain a relationship to be honest for multiple reasons. First of all, I was really putting a priority on the business in a, in a to be honest, like a unhealthy way. And mm -hmm. I, I, I would go at it very differently today, but you know, you learn. <laughs> and um, I don't think I was just available for that at all at that point. I was just so in my things and my projects. And uh, so, yeah. Why, why did you care that much that you were willing to give up relationships, dating, family, space to just think, why? What was it about you that drove you there? Uh, that's a, it's a tough question. I, I don't really know. I, I, it's just like this. I come from four generations of entrepreneurs and project builders. And my dad was a project builder. He still is, always has projects and businesses. And, you know, my granddad had a business too. And my, so it's, it's just... It, it's just how I was raised. Uh, basically, I wasn't raised. My dad never talked to me about getting a job ever in my life. He talked to me about building value and uh, about entrepreneurship and about creating your own opportunities. And I guess a side of it, why I was so uh, obsessed by it, honestly, I think it was a bit because I wanted my dad to be proud of me. You know, mm. he's, he's, he was in the business with me, but he also is a mentor of, of mine, right? He, he taught me a lot. Uh, of what I know in business. So I was like in a project with him. I, I just couldn't fail. You know, I just couldn't fail. So, um, but it was a rough ride. It was a very rough ride. Uh, we, people thought, you know, oh, wow, it's so successful from the outside. Maybe, but you know, we, we had some issues. My, what were the big issues? Oh, I mean, I mean, first of all, my mental health and like general health was declining pretty quickly because I, I just didn't know how to be, healthy. I just what didn't does know that how mean? it worked. What, what does that so mean? I, I mean, it means you seem fine. Yeah, it's, that's the problem, right? You seem fine because I'm not obese and I, you know, it's, but the reality is like, 
mentally I was broken. I, I, I was functioning on maybe 10% of my, you know, capacity. And what did that mean? Like if, if you can think of a day when there was a problem, what, how did that look day to day? If I were to watch oh my you, God. tell yeah, me. So at some point, at some point, I'm not going to say the name, but it's a very well-known artist. Uh, someone on premium beat, uh, made a track that was too, co- too close to that artist track. And we got sued, not sued, but we got, you know, letters, let's just say that from these artists and big artists and pretty, and, you know, pretty scary letters when you're, I had no idea, right? Like I, first time in my life, I got letters of like, Hey, you should, you know, you need to take this down and, uh, our lawyers will talk. And, um, I remember sitting in my bed with heart palpitation and like just waves of panic going through my body. And I was like, Hmm, is this how heart attacks begin? Ah. You know, like I was so, so stressed. And just to say at that exact moment, my dad's partner, girlfriend, my, basically she acted kind of my side, my mom for, for years and years, she had a two cancers in a row. So my dad just told me, my father was like, listen, I can't, I can't really, you know, do this anymore. I have to take care of Guylaine. And uh, so he went and I had to basically take the business, which was in, you know, jeopardy for multiple reasons at that point. And I basically pushed everything aside and I just quadrupled down. And that's where wow. we scaled the business. But I did it. Now I know that I did it to, to the expense of my health. You know, it's, it's not, isn't it worth it though? Because now you can tend to your health. You've got safety for the rest of your life. You're not going to have to worry about money. You're, you can, you're open enough that you have space to think this stuff through. Your dad is now into nutrition because he has the time to do that. Right. Isn't it worth it to have suffered to get here? I mean, it's hard. Of course, now I'll say yes, because I'm not in it. Right. But if I, it's hard to know. You can't A-B test life, unfortunately. And uh, I think, and that's just a thought, maybe I wasn't really productive as much as I thought I was. Right now, I know that there were things I was doing back then that were just noise, like details that I shouldn't really, you know, take a look at or, or like things like I shouldn't. What? I, I, I don't know, like a detail on the design, for example, on a button, right? Like the big, ah. the big view is much, much more important, but I was like focusing on and getting super like intense with every detail. And the problem is I didn't know how to delegate. This was like a two, two, three people business, right? So I was doing everything and not in the best way. And so I wasn't, it's not a good way to do things. It really uh, is. I see. If you're saying, look, if the alternative is Andrew, give in to weakness, be lazy and sit at home and give up on the business versus this, clearly what you did is better. But that's not the only alternative. The, alter- the alternative you might have picked was to say, I'm going to get my mental health right because then I could be even more yes, productive. Exactly, Instead of nitpicking exactly. on one little thing, I w- you could have spent more time thinking of bigger picture, bringing more people into the business. Got it. Got it. I, I, the main, I was seeing uh, the wrong dichotomy here. The, the main thing is the, building a business is a marathon. You've been doing this for what, 12 years now, Andrew, something like yep, that. Yep. Yep. It's, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I can, I thought it was a sprint and, and I sprinted like, like a madman, but, but at some point I, I stopped sprinting because I was, I, I was out of, 
out of energy. I just didn't have anything in me yet. And, 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 and I had to transition out of my CEO role and my role at Shutterstock because I just, I, I, was, I just wasn't my best and I needed to recharge. Why did you sell? I sold because I was burnt out. I was tired. I was burnt out. I just, I, I don't think I, I could have really built it that much, you know, bigger with the, with my health situation at that point. It was pretty, I would, I was having pretty bad issues with like sleep. Mm. Um, so I, I, my feeling was that I needed to sell. The other thing too is imagine the only thing I had financially was that, right? I had nothing. Uh, yeah. You nothing. failed there and Everything, Everything goes away. Yeah. And now when you're exhausted, you have to figure out how to get a job. Not just that. It's not just me. That's my dad's retirement. Right. Like my dad would, you know, I, I think he's pretty happy today because we really grew the business and then sold it. But it was, I had my dad's retirement in my hands, right? right. Like if I, if I mess this up, that's it. Like he, he doesn't get to spend a, you know, a relaxed the rest of his life at home and, you know, doing insect photography. That's his yeah, I see passion. that he's in macro photography, oh, entomology, nutrition, exactly. and Latin America. That's where his life is right now. Pretty um, much, right. yeah. Do you remember the day you sold? Was there like an exciting thing that happened? You do tell me what happened. Yeah. So what I remember is that the most anticlimactic thing I've ever seen in my life. It's, Basically, you, you say you're going to close for like two months and you're always, oh, we're this, this close, this close, this close. And then when you get to signing, you're so like, you're done with it. You're like, okay, just wire the money. So I, I didn't really, the moment I remember is when I went and pitched uh, Premium Beat in the Empire State Building, because that's why, that's where Shutterstock is. That was pretty cool for a Canadian to go like, you know, 21st floor, pitch in the boardroom with the view of, of New York is really a, quite a, a, a fun experience. But the day I sold, I, I saw the number in my bank account and then I expect, expected to feel this surge of like happiness and it never happened. Never. It just, it, it never happened. And I, I'm still waiting for it. I don't know if it's going to happen one day. Oh, that is a sign of real mental burnout that you, that you can't appreciate right. that. Right. Because even if you right. watch at the end of a marathon, as tough as it is for people, the most exhausted people will still then just feel this sense of elation for a moment when they cross, except if their bodies are completely shot. And yeah, they like, I think, I think you're right. I never thought about it that yeah. way, but I think you're hundred percent right. I think that's what it is. All right. I'm going to talk about my first sponsor and then we'll come back in and, and find out what you did afterwards and how you ended up being the guy who can now buy and own multiple companies and not burn your, or maybe you did burn out. You told me something happened uh, a couple of years ago, but my first company, uh, first sponsor is a company called Rippling. Here's what they do. You tell me if I'm explaining this right. You know, now because of the pandemic, people are doing what you're doing, right? They're working from home. Some people have moved, gone to other places. Meanwhile, if you're running a business, you still have to pay them and you still have to be in compliance with all the rules, wherever it is that they've moved to, Right. So what Rippling does is they say, it doesn't matter where people work. It doesn't matter where they live. We'll make it easy for you to pay them. And if they're not W-2 employees, they happen to be 1099, we'll take care of that too. And at the end of the year, if you're running an American company and you need to follow the 1099s, phenomenal, they'll do it for you. That's why I signed up. That's why I like them. What I didn't realize until I signed up is there are all these other headaches that go into onboarding people. 
like you have to get them to sign an agreement. You have to get them access to their email address. You have to get them. We don't use Slack, but if we did, we'd want them in Slack and in the Slack rooms that they need. And we'd have all these, all these other needs. Some companies even want to get a computer to the person who's working for them so that it's exactly set up the way that they want it. All these headaches, Rippling takes away. Yes, they make it easy to pay people, but they also make it easy to onboard them properly. And finally, Francois, I hate to say this, but we also have to offboard people sometimes. They make it easy to then take away all these different accounts because I keep seeing examples of people who, who they hire, right? They give people a lot of responsibility and access. And then when the person decides to go rogue, I'm going to interview a founder in a little bit who had that situation. He was locked out of everything. Literally, this business was taken away. He's done great for himself now, but he, he had to suffer that huge setback before he could recover before he could recover and do as well as he is now. So the point is onboard your employees or contractors, offboard them well, and then take good care of their payments in between. That's what Rippling does. That's a little long-winded. What do you think, Francois, right? That's great. Actually, um, so I, I have a pretty distributed team for uh, Design Stripe, and we have people in Argentina and Europe and Indonesia and everywhere, basically. Yep. And we, um, we pay them remotely. And I, when we started, and even we pay people with Bitcoin, even. Like okay. it's, it's, it's really starting to, uh, you know, to, to happen more and more. And it is super complicated to onboard What do you use, employees. even if it's a competitive? Even if it's a competitor of my sponsor, what is it that I think they we use? use Deal. 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 Okay, I don't know D-E-E-L. Deal. D-E-E-L. I think we use that. But okay. I'll look, I look, I look at them too. We, and the onboarding and the offboarding is extremely important. It's somewhere, you know, at the end of the world, you can't like knock on his door and say, hey, come on, you know, give me the, you know, there's, right. you, it's, it's really and, and important. And how about this, even day to day when they're working with you, there are people who then go and create extra accounts, even though you as a company created accounts on these apps for them, they don't know the accounts exist. They don't know that they could use them. With Rippling, it's all there throughout the experience. All right, if you're out there listening to me, don't sign up with them. Their sponsor, I'm still going to say don't sign up. Here's what I'm going to say instead. Go get a demo. Let them just show you what's there so when you want a new option, it'll be in the back of your head and you'll be ready to sign up. I know I'm not going to get any credit if somebody does this, but if you go to rippling.com slash Mixergy and just sign up for a demo and come back even a year later, you'll thank me even if they don't thank me. But I want you to at least get to know this company and when you use my URL, they'll give you a great demo and introduce you to the company. It's rippling.com slash Mixergy, rippling.com slash Mixergy. All right. How long after did you decide you wanted to invest after you sold the business? Actually, investing was was uh, I forever. I wanted to I have wanted to do that forever. Really, I love the idea of I've why been mentoring. You, you don't have could, the you don't have the ego that goes along with uh, it's wanting to be that. an angel investor. Yeah, what is it? It's about mentorship. I my my true passion in life is education is mentorship. That is my true passion. And that's why I think I'm pretty good at building businesses because I'm good at, at transferring knowledge and, and training teams, making, building really good performing, high performing team. Um, but um, yeah, what was the question? Sorry. How long after did you decide that you were going to start making angel investments? It looks like it was pretty quick. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I started, I think even before I, I left Shutterstock. Yes, I think I did one investment before I left. So in I started in 20 Oh no, no, no. I started in 2015. Mm-hmm. Started in 2015. My first deal was in a very complicated hardware software business and I had no experience and I I made a, I cut a $250,000 check which is for an angel investor starting out 
it was a stupid amount. Now I do these checks, you know, more often, but like when you're starting out, you don't want to start with two, 250. You want to start with like 25 K 50 because you're almost, almost guaranteed to lose that money. Okay. It's, it's almost like, do you know, when you make pancakes, the first one is always like a throwaway. That's kind of it. It's like, it's almost like you have to just go through your first one. You make all your mistakes. So my, my first, like, advice for people wanting to invest is invest very little to start with just get the hang of it but i was excited and like a lot of other entrepreneurs that sell their business they want to invest right away because they it's exciting right and so i started investing primarily with a theory that i was going to be not be a ceo because yeah I, i you know i was burnt out super tired and i didn't want to be a ceo it was out of my like forever i, w- I was like done with being a ceo and I decided to be an investor instead. So started with a few deals, did a few traditional deals, did some mostly tech, a bit of biotech, and just tried a bunch of things. And started getting a bit better, and, and I started having a lot of fun working with entrepreneurs. And what made you better? What, what's the change that made you a better investor? Pattern recognition. What's a pattern That's, that you started recognizing? Is it something you could articulate or more of a oh, gut yes. instinct developing? What oh, is no, it? No, no, definitely, definitely. So I, I've developed a, a, a good sixth sense for, for, I would say, entrepreneurs, for people who want the lifestyle and they want the glamour, but they're not really willing to do the actual work. And, and sometimes it's hard to see because these guys, these people often are very good at pitching because that's part of the lifestyle of the entrepreneur, right? It's just winning pitches, winning pitch competitions and basically promoting, 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 but not the, they're usually not the best people to actually build cultures and businesses. They're very self kind of focused. Um, and I, because they're basically trying to build a personal brand and not a company. That's my issue with that. Um, so then how can you so tell I, when somebody is more of the, more like you were willing to work in the basement, have nobody care, have people think that they're losers because they're not at the conferences. They're not, they don't yeah. have a personal brand, but that's where the work is. How do you find those people? Well, humility and self-awareness, I would say. So if someone who says to me, listen, I'm very, very strong at operations and I'm very strong at finance. Do not put me in charge of people. Do not put me in charge of tech, but give me Excel sheets and I'm the best you will find. You know, I, and, and, and that person, let's say that's the CFO of the company or something like that. And the CEO tells me, I absolutely suck at finance. I'm fantastic at building products. Right. That's the kind of team where like, and I Ah. respect the hell out of this guy and I respect the hell out of, so there's like mutual respect. Basically like when, when companies work, it's like two puzzle pieces that snap together with partners. It's just the right amount of empty space with the right amount of overlap. It's just the clicks. And when you see it. And an awareness that one is not good at the other and willingness to say that, not even the arrogance arrogance to say, I'm not good at it because I don't spend time on it. And if I did, I could get really good or I'm sure I could pick it up. It's more like, this is not me. Focus. But I know this other person who it is them. Got it. Okay. That's one thing. What about this? Except for Nolk, as I'm looking at your investments, I don't see... I don't understand what the thesis is. What's the one thing or what's the outlook that you, that guides your. So I'm, I'm actually, 
my thesis is to invest in the best leaders possible. So I literally invested, I have Fight Camp, which is a boxing fitness app, which is doing amazing. We signed uh, Mike Tyson as an ambassador. Like it's just I'm doing amazing. freaking ads. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, they're great. Uh, so, so that's one of my most successful startups. I, and I invested because Khalil, I met Khalil, the CEO in Montreal. Uh, they're, they're people from Quebec moved to LA and uh, I just, his energy and his like, it's just clear to me that he was so hungry and willing to learn anything that it takes, do anything that it takes, take a backseat on anything if someone's better than him. Uh, he like so coachable, self-aware, he would himself go and get like coaches for CEOs, you know, that kind of guy. So yeah, that to me, like, and I invested, it was like a tracking boxing thing. It wasn't even like a, a training at home live, like well, Peloton what was style. It? Cause right now what they have is they've got that punching bag that could sit on yeah. the ground. You don't have to tie it to the ceiling, which is a big issue. Yes. And then I think you could use like Apple TV or something to watch it yeah. or frankly anything, or just yeah. even your phone, right. To watch yeah, what you're tracks. supposed to do. You put the little devices in your gloves. It comes with the whole kit. And you just basically do oh. your training and it tracks every movement and it tracks your speed, your agility, your power. So it's not, it's, I it's don't need amazing. the punching bag. I could just punch shadow boxing and you, it still picks it up. You could if you want. Yeah, you could Got if it. you want. There are, there are some shadow boxing trainings, but I would really recommend getting the, the full kit. It's, it's amazing. So, so it. that's doing well, right? So that's an example where I just met someone. I thought, wow, this guy's smart super smart. I, I want in, right? I what invested about, in, in, yeah. in a whole a bunch of other companies just because like, for example, Cabo is a dog food delivery. Um, but you know, it's two founders, immigrants with a really crazy backstory, twins. Uh, they worked at Facebook and now they're starting this thing. It's like such an entire, like crazy smart people. So I, I just, when I met, when I meet these, these people, I just invest. I looked at the business model. I think it made sense. The reality is early stage. That's the main thing that people don't understand. If you invest early stage and you're too analytical about like, you're basically looking at the unit economics and you're like, oh, this is not going to work. I don't like the unit economics. Those are going to change so much in a few years. Right? If you're six months in, 12 months in, do not like say one side of the other, don't say, oh, they only acquire customers at $1 per customer because that's going to scale a lot too, you know? So you, you, and you can't, you have to be extremely careful about what kind of, uh, just a second. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what just happened, man. I wish we could show the, show the video of what this pool room, pool, not pool room, what this, uh, hey, I, this place I looks have like. A, so here I have a a, a sauna a spa uh -huh. that's a, that, that might be about to, to burst into a bubbles because it's it's on a so anyways on a I timer okay all right we'll sorry keep going. sorry about what, that what about this what Cabo does is they make um it's it's like specialty dog food doesn't begin to say it it almost looks like human food it comes in these yeah, special yeah. packs right it's basically like. For crazy people like me who love their dogs as much as their kids, you know, they, they want like the best I, fresh food. I get it. Let me ask you this, though. What I don't understand is what's different now in the world that allows them to reach customers in, in, a, in what's becoming a competitive marketplace and still do it well? I, I understand that you can put up a Shopify store or, or, or comparable. I understand you could buy ads online, but what 
Give me a little bit more insight that I couldn't see from the outside about why this business does well. And the reason I'm asking is because this is an area you do spend a lot of time on e-commerce. What, what, what's working on this? I mean, so the e-commerce is about customer acquisition, basically. It's, it's the toughest part of e-commerce. It's not the Shopify part. It's not the design. It's mm -hmm. not the photos. It's customer acquisition. Everyone is competing for the same dollars. So it really is about building that brand that's going to convert and connecting with, with consumers in different ways. For example, you know, at a company like Cabo, you could really build a very big presence in terms of content. You could buy, for example, media companies. You could buy five blogs that are animal related, right? That gives you a million hits a month. And then you can promote to that audience. There's, there's a lot of different things that you can do. And it's the reason why I invested in these guys. It's because they, they're not just basically throwing money at Facebook ads and that's it. They're trying to go around, you know, other people and be smarter and, and, and be more capital efficient. What's the most interesting thing that you've seen either them or someone else do to acquire customers consistently, not just one of these one hit fun hacks? Well, I have a, a, a company called B-Side, uh, B-Side Cabins. And basically it's a magazine that started years ago and they built a physical paper magazine and they built a huge audience through that magazine by distributing it everywhere across the world in like the specialty stores. It's very design. And then we built that audience. And then what we did is we built real estate for that audience. So we started from a paper magazine, built that audience. And then these customers, we built a project in nature for them. So we sold 70 cabins so far and we're gonna build about a thousand cabins in the oh, next 10 years. And you own this completely? No, I own, I'm a 10% owner. 10% owner. Oh yeah, this is beautiful. Got it. So all they did was a magazine, not all, but they had a magazine and a website that showed these beautiful cabins. I could look at this stuff all day. This is like, yeah. uh, this is more interesting than porn to me. It's yeah, just well, you know, there's cabin gorgeous. porn, the, the, the channel, yeah. the... Uh, yeah. So, uh, so, so what it, they did, and then instead of saying, we're going to sell you stuff for your home, you created a place where people can buy cabins and have this whole atmosphere. So we created the ecosystem, right? Imagine, I think that's the, the, we're flipping the script when it comes to building products. Now we're a lot of like Glossier, for example, it was a blog about fashion and beauty and they turned it into a huge brand. So that's what we're doing now. Instead of saying, this is a product, let's try and figure out what we can say to these people so they buy it. Instead, we, we talk to people and we say, hey, this is the, this is the environment B-Side is offering. We're about culture and nature and getting back to nature and music and architecture. So that's the, you, you, you basically set up that whole atmosphere and that whole uh, ecosystem, and then you can produce a product you develop something that uh, people really love and that really fits with that audience. This and that's how we gorgeous. were able to sell out in like in no time, like 70 cabins sell out. They sold the cabins or are they renting? I see on the site, it says 75 units available to rent. Yeah, so we basically uh, sell it to people who then can rent it or go, you know, there's different, you can go oh, there, wow. you know, all the time or you can rent it out. So it's also in, a, in like investment opportunity. I can't buy one more of these. You don't, can you make a 76 we, we are making, we are, we have a, a project in New York coming up. We have a project in, uh, we're going to have a, 10 projects across North America. So there might be one close to you at some point. And so anyone can then go buy this and decide, I'm just going to list it on Airbnb, or I'm going to rent it to other people so that they could live in it or live in it myself. 
Yeah, so you can stay there if you want, but really most people are going to be there, you know, I don't know, 40 to 60 days, days a year, let's say, and the rest of the time it's going to be rented through our platform, not not Airbnb. We're going to be all like, it's all the B-side platform. I couldn't do it on my own platform if I wanted to, or an Airbnb no. or hip No, no, we, no we rent it for you. You, you. you handle nothing, essentially. No What about the management no cleaning up in between, nothing. people complaining? You handle the it's whole thing. It's all done for you. Yeah, it's all done. Why aren't you just raising the money and doing it yourself? You don't need uh, 75 owners to be nudges to you. Yeah, I mean, we thought about doing that, but it was so attractive to to buy the, the plot of land and then subdivide it and sell it as at profit. Like it was just just a better way to fund the operations. We are raising money at, right now, actually. So for for beside cabins. Yeah. So is that one of the things that I could join in as a syndicate member? And invest in? You, you might actually. This might be a, a syndicate deal, uh, but I have. I mean, I have so many deals coming. This is just one one of them. You know, look at this. The guy who's like the flash artist has got so many freaking deals. You can't even list them. All right. Um, one of the problems that I've got with angels of many, and I get why you would do it. You get all these great. How, how are you finding all these deals? By the way, you don't seem like you're you're a rock star venture capital angel investor. Not right. You're just a dude. Well. Well, uh, Tell me. so here's here's the twist. You, you're right that in the, in the specific territories, I my name that never comes up, right? Uh, but I concentrated on the Canadian ecosystem mainly, okay. and so in the Canadian ecosystem, I have a I have a good name enough that people send me deals, and sometimes I get deals from everywhere. But you're right. Uh, but you know, I'm on sixty something cap tables. So my name comes up all the time, right? Got so it. So it's uh, that's it's, I call it cap table marketing. It's almost. I would say like, it's it, that's a word word of mouth cap table marketing, right? It seems yeah, like yeah, is yeah. what it is that one person says Francois helped us think through this. He's got interest in that. Go talk to him. Exactly. I'd love to see you speak out more than that, but I get it. All right. Um, well, I'm very active on LinkedIn, by the way. Anyone who's listening to this, I'm super active on LinkedIn why'd you now. Pick LinkedIn? I started. Oh, I can talk to you about this for a long time. I, I love it because it allows me to be just the business person. I don't want to be pub public as a personal person. I want to be public with what I do professionally. And sometimes there's certain specific personal aspects to it. I'm pretty anti-Facebook, to be honest. Like I, I've, I don't like Facebook at all, um, especially I understand this year. it. And... Uh, so I'm, I try to get, you know, not use Facebook and uh, I don't use Twitter, not because I hate it. I actually enjoy Twitter, but it's like Twitter is very, it, it drives me a bit anxious sometimes. Like it, it drives anxiety in me because I, I keep on like, you know, scrolling and scrolling. So I, as a, you know, I tried to change my habits there. So no, no more social media doom scrolling for me. Okay. All right. I get the, I get the interest. The thing that I was going to say about angels of many is, that's where we could invest along with you. The problem I have is I don't even want to decide. I just want to say, Francois, here's some money. I trust your sensibility. Just go put it in whatever you think makes sense. But you're, I guess what you're saying is, or what you told me before we started was, the opportunity to do that wasn't available when you were getting started with this. Now there is the rolling fund. You might do rolling fund where people can sign up for a subscription. I've seen some that are just for a few thousand bucks every quarter to put in, right? And now you've got a bunch of people who are all invested. Got it. All right. Um, I, might, I might very well do that. Uh, we, we have way too many interested investors for the amount of deals we have now. So we have, we're going to have to 
there's a lot of capital that wants to be invested, especially the Canadian tech ecosystem mm-hmm. with Shopify and Lightspeed and the, these companies that have kind of emerged in the last few years is starting to be pretty interesting. And there's some really good deals here. So for American investors, uh, definitely look to Canada, Toronto, Calgary, Montreal, two, three great cities, Vancouver too. All right, I'm going to talk about my second sponsor, but I'd like to bring you into the ad here. So that way you could criticize yourself if it doesn't work out well. All seriousness, the second sponsor is HostGator. You know, HostGator allows people to, to launch, say, WordPress, lots of different platforms, but I like WordPress and WooCommerce on top. If someone were listening to us right now, Francois, they were the way that you were when you were in your 20s, early part of your life, and they don't have your dad to like bounce ideas off of. They just have you right now. What suggestion would you give them for what to do with a, with a HostGator hosting package what business would you suggest that they launch today well if you need so we used uh, a bunch of providers specifically for wordpress back when uh, i was at premium beat with the blog right so the blog was such a huge huge part of would you suggest today our... even blogging because it did so well then you're seeing it today work well oh yeah oh absolutely what would they blog yeah. about what's a topic that would still work for a blog well it depends what the business about well, what's the business about how would they find a business i'm saying somebody who's just getting started i love just kicking off new ideas in these hostgator ads instead of talking about hostgator i talk about your new ideas that could oh. be hosted on hostgator what would what would you come up with what's an idea of either that you would kick off today if you had the time or a process you would use to kick off an idea? Oh, I mean, the process I, I would use is I would listen to people complain around me okay. to like, what, what do people need? What people are looking for? Like simple details. Like uh, the other day I was using tongs for salad and it yes. kept like pinching my skin. And I was like, what kind of design is this? Why do they always pinch the skin? And maybe that's going to, you know, pop in a new idea about designing new tongs or going on uh, uh, Alibaba and trying to figure out drop shipping. Or that, those are all the most important thing is, is not the ideas to get started, just like get started. And especially with WooCommerce, for example, we, mm-hmm. we used to use uh, WooCommerce on our rocket stock. So premium beat, we had premium beat and then we started rocket stock, which was about motion design. And we used uh, WooCommerce on there and uh, no it's is, is really great. Yeah. It was, it worked really well. Um, so if you're not going to use Shopify or, or, uh, or Webflow, which I really like, I think definitely like I would get a dedicated, WordPress hosting. WordPress is surprisingly heavy sometimes and, and not very secure if you do everything yourself uh, and you try to like keep up with the updates. Yeah. One of the things that HostGator has, they don't advertise it, but they do manage WordPress hosting, which has become the yeah. thing to do. I noticed even, I think it's Matt Mullenweg who invested in another company that does mad, manage WordPress hosting. Which one is it? The one that uh, Jason Cohen created. Um, I forget the name, but it, you're right. At some point when it becomes really big, just straight up clean, nothing else included WordPress hosting yes. is a lot of work. And so that's what we did. We, we just upgrade with HostGator. But if you're out there starting out, I want you to get the lowest price possible on service that would just work. And yes, it will scale with you. It did with us. All you have to do is go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. When you do, you could get started. You could experiment. You can try the tongs idea. Imagine if you do that and then you come back to, to Francois and you say, look, I did it. Million or, dollar tongs. Yeah. I like it. And, and I can buy and I can buy their business. Maybe I can right. buy their tongue business. I'm in the cookware space. Why not? Do it. Hostgator.com slash Mixergy will get you a great price, dependable service that will scale with you. All right. At some point you decided I'm also going to start buying these businesses. Yeah, so my partner Alex uh, and uh, my partner Alex and COO at uh, 
Premium Beat, we had, you know, we know we've known each other for 27 years, I think, or 28 years. So we were like childhood friends. And he came in and basically replaced what the role my, my father was playing at Premium Beat, which was more like operations finance. And he really, really helped scale and structure the business so we can sell it. I would honestly not be able to sit here today and say that we would have sold the business for as much if it wasn't for Alex. He he took like a family business and really structured it, right? So I'm, I'm the product guy, I'm the strategy guy, tech, all that stuff, but I don't, I'm not good at operations at all. So he he did an incredible, incredible What did he do? What there. was his process for operating the business? Oh, just like structure, like weekly meetings, you know, checkups, performance reviews, mm. everything that you would do in a normal company, that onboarding, offboarding, all that stuff. You don't want to deal he's with. Just, no, and he's yeah. fantastic at it. So after he stayed almost three years, I stayed two years at Shutterstock, after that, he and I decided that we were going to tackle physical e-commerce because we'd never done physical e-commerce. I, Alex had done a bit, but for me, I've always sold digital things, right? Ones and zeros. So now I had to deal with, I have to deal with like inventory and logistics and returns and stuff like that. So we were very kind of interested in that. And I really love the, you know, design and products in general. It's really interesting. So myself and Alex, uh, four years ago, said, you know what? Uh, we're not going to start uh, an e-commerce store. We're going to buy e-commerce stores. And back then, it wasn't four years ago. It wasn't really a thing. Now it's like 60-something companies do it. Um, and we said, uh, we started by buying Amazon stores and then figured out, uh, you know what? Amazon, you know, they... They just like turn a dial and you're not profitable anymore. You know, they, yeah. they, they have you, they, they, you really don't own your customers. So we decided to go with a more omni-channel app approach. And uh, we bought, I think 12 companies so far, something like that. We're in the process of buying two more and uh, it's growing fast. So we're growing fast and uh, we're, we have some plans to go public. Um, it's it's a really exciting moment to be in e-commerce. There's a lot of consolidation. There's a ton of players out there. There's, it's very fragmented. There's like, I think, 30,000 stores or whatever, 25,000 stores that make a million or more on Shopify. It's, it's a lot. That's huge. Right? So, so I'm, I'm uh, focusing on buying great brands. And then we... Or sometimes the brand's not great, but the distribution is there. So we buy the, you know, the, the remnants or the, the of the business and we kind of scale it up and rebrand what's, it. And what's the distribution like when it's good enough to compensate for no brand? For example, uh, they have agreements, like a company ha has agreements with a, a few big companies for recurring business every year, you know, and we just get into that relationship and we scale it. So uh, where we, there are a few companies who just want to keep buying from your from your exactly, business. Is exactly, that it? Exactly. What would a company want to buy on a recurring basis? Well, for example, uh, we have a company called Alex uh, Bottle in their tumblers. And it's very common that people want to engrave their logo on the tumbler. So that's uh, an, they can buy like, I don't know, $250,000 of tumblers a year on a regular basis, right? So if you have that relationship, we can put a price on it. It's not as you know, not guaranteed because if the relationship is severed, then, you know, it's not worth anything, but we, we, we can put a price on that kind of business. Maybe it's not doing well that much, but the product is great. There's a lot of, you know, uh, in money invested in it. And so we, we, we sometimes buy 
uh, distressed assets. People say, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I have 500K in sales, products, fantastic, reviews are fantastic, but I'm tired or I just got a kid or, you know, oh, I just got to a million in sales. And I don't know what to do next. So these are the situations for us that, uh, where we jump in. Do you have any economies of scale by owning multiple brands? Absolutely. That's the whole purpose, essentially. What's so the econ- what where are the economies is- of scale? Everywhere. So we build a core competency at Noak. So we have experts in logistics and marketing and distribution and manufacturing, right? Something that you don't have as an independent brand. You don't have these experts in-house. You don't have a full team, right? And that's what we bring. So if you're a separate brand out there and you're making, I don't know, 28% uh, contribution margins, well, we might buy that company and grow it to 38 or 40 because we're more efficient. We automate more. We remember in the first uh, call I, I, we had, I, I talked about automation a lot. That stayed with me. Like I still, automation is so important to companies. Like what? what are you SOPs, automating? Procedures. Ah, oh, got it, got it. Marketing, automating, like everything. Yeah. Got it. You're, so everything is systemized as much as it can exactly. be. Let me ask you something. By the way, Alex, is, it's beautiful mugs. The thing that I that surprises me is your sites are all incredibly beautiful. There's not extra stuff on it. And still on the bottom of Alex, I see all the different ways I could pay. Why is it that you put all those logos for payment? Why do people care at that point to go look at the footer and see it? It's just such a little thing that stands out in my mind that I got to ask you. Oh, it's just uh, social proof, right? It's just credibility. When we, when we, we see logos, we know and respect, we apply that credibility to whatever ah, we see so it on. It's not that someone right? says, I need to pay using Amazon payment or else I'm not in. It's just, they see the Amazon payment logo, it gives them some sense of credibility from the site. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it was there when we bought the company, to be honest, and it's still there. So it's not, uh, not, not a big like strategy on our part, but yeah. You know, what's also helped a lot with, uh, with online purchases. For me, it's Apple Pay. My delivery stuff is in there. I don't have to get my credit card out. I don't even oh, need yeah. CVV or whatever the last three digits are called, right? It's just hit the pay button and it shows up. Shop pay, shop pay also is fantastic. It's really, I use it all the time. The, the, the big advantage that Amazon had was exactly that. The yep. single, you know, click, buy. But now with shop pay, if you bought at any Shopify store, you're in the system. So to me, that's that's such that's the beauty of Shopify. It, it really is. The um, uh, for me, it's Apple Pay, I guess, because all my stuff is in there all the time. The one big issue I have when I leave the when I leave the Amazon world is is delivery. Shopify does great when it comes to digital. When it comes to physical, to atoms, that's where there's a problem because. UPS will get stuff lost. FedEx will put it in front of my house. I have a video of someone stealing from front of my place here in San Francisco. I'm not in a bad neighborhood. I'm in a good one. Maybe that's why they're coming around on there. I see the, the exactly. dude on his bike coming and stealing it. Um, and Amazon will have a clicker, open my garage, put it in there. If I wanted, I think they could even put it in, in, my, in my trunk. That's their big challenge, isn't it? Yeah, that's going to be a huge, well, Shopify is launching uh, logistics. I don't know if they have it already, but they're really obviously interested in all these, all these things, right? That's, that's going to be the name of the game. The, the last mile delivery, the experience, right. but there's a lot of providers now that uh, actually allow you to have that kind of level of service of same day delivery. It's being built. And the problem is 
uh, if you're in New York, it's something, but if you're in rural Alabama or Montreal or like, you know, whatever here in Canada, up North, it's like the logistics are complicated. Like for countries like Canada, for example, is very far from one house to right. the other and same for rural areas. So it, it will always be tricky. Logistics is, is extremely tricky. Um, Inventory that's, financing is another one that's very tricky. I, I never understood the amount of cash you have to put into actual inventory that sits in a warehouse. It's, it's right. pretty, it's, you know, uh, very different than uh, running a, uh, a SaaS business for sure. Here's another one, returns. You trust Amazon to just handle returns, no question. Bought pans for running. They sent me the wrong ones. Now I have to go back and figure out who am I returning with? There's not a clear return trust there. Yeah, there's no consistency in the experience either, right? From one shop, it's that, and the other shop, it's right. that, and it's like right. it's it's, right. it's a mess. That's where the that's yeah. where the challenge is. Where the the upside today is, Alex just looks freaking beautiful. I can't stop looking at this. Right? They're they're do the tumblers not get knocked over if I put tea in them? Is no, it's it? actually pretty good. It it, it it doesn't knock over too uh, too badly. It's it, the, with a rubber base. It looks it's good. It's really, really good product. So that's the kind of business where they invested a lot in the molding, right? It's very expensive molding and extremely expensive and complicated. And now we come in and we take the brand and we we consolidate it with other brands. So now that we have Canna, which is the, the cookware brand, we can cross sell all these products together. Uh, so that's another, right? That's another big one, right? The more the network grows for example we just signed Creighton barrel for canna and uh, and west elm and william sonoma and, is and that, all these this guys is your people who then have the relationships yes. their job is yes. to got it so kind on its own couldn't do it not in the same way you have it once you have a relationship with Williamson exactly. sonoma you could okay all right now i'm getting all this part of your empire design stripe the hell where does this come from you finally like you're investing it makes sense you're buying these e-commerce <laughs> things and suddenly design stripe does what okay so here's a scenario for you to make you uh, understand <clears throat> you you're at an agency you have a client which does construction and they want a website and they love illustration they want something illustrated because they don't want to have to take pictures and all that stuff so you say, all right, you go on Shutterstock, Getty, all these sites, and you search for illustrations, and you find some pretty good ones, actually, and you click on them, and you're like, wow, this is perfect for the homepage. It's a guy with a hammer. It's whatever. It's exactly what I need. So you paste that illustration on your front page. You show it to the client, and the client's like, wow, I love, I love this. It's perfect. Now um, I have this event coming up, and I would love an illustration that shows uh, instead of the hammer, it's a microphone in the guy's hands or whatever it is, right? Whatever. Like I want something a bit different. So uh, I go back to Shutterstock and Getty. I try to find something different. It's not there because there's like 25 illustrations in that specific style with that specific color, you know, scheme. And so I go, I try to click on the name of the person who did it, the illustrator, and it's someone in Russia and I try to contact them and then they're not available. So I go back to, I try to find another illustrator to modify the illustration, but it's not quite it because it's not the same illustrator. Okay, and I see the problem. So I'm like, How are you, you know, solving it's it? A, so basically what happens is you have lack of consistency with your brand and your, your illustration styles. And I see, that, see this all the time where people will use a certain style of illustration with a certain color scheme. And then they send an email and it's another style and another color scheme. They just... They don't have the people in-house. So Design Stripe allows you to 
select a style of illustration that is made by us in-house and you stick with that style and we bring you that content through a customization interface where you can customize the illustration to your needs, to your colors. For example, if you have someone that's in, it's an event in Saudi Arabia and you might want people with hijabs or it's in yeah. you know, a country where people have different skin tones and all that stuff, you can all modify it yourself as you know, someone who buys, someone in the agency, a designer, a, a writer, whoever. And you can click that and you can even tell me what your brand color is and we'll recolor the illustration for you. Does it and start with does it start with uh, almost stock designs that people yes, can it, buy? Got it. It starts with that customize with customize yes. with a team that so will customize it. it. No, you customize it yourself. So basically how the this software works is will we let have, me customize it in real time? Yes, absolutely. Oh, got it. Is, it, so it is, yeah, it's really cool. Actually, you, we we basically built an in-house studio of 12. Now we're 12, 13 uh, illustrators. And they produce content for us full time. So it's kind of like HBO and not YouTube, right? We produce our own content. We are the, the opposite of an open marketplace. We super curated and made in-house. And our goal is to bring variety, customizability, and consistency. Consistency being the most important one. Because that's why companies stop using illustrations because it becomes a mess and people people pile up a bunch of styles together and they get stuck with it. So Francois, how do you manage all this where you're now on 60 cap tables, you said you're, you're running um, a company, you're running a syndicate. Where's your time going day to day? You're running a bunch of e-commerce sites. What's, what's the day to day that allows you to do all that? Well, the truth is I'm not running all these things, right? So the e-commerce company, no, Alex is the CEO and I am the chairman of the board. So I talk to Alex an hour a day, maybe. And that's my involvement in, uh, in Noke. And, you know, I start the business with him and all that stuff. So that doesn't take, you know, that much time for, for me. And uh, in terms of uh, Design Stripe, I spend, I would say, I don't know, a good 35, 40 hours a week on it. And the rest of the time, you know, here and there, I spend on uh, my investments. I, I do, you know, probably spend 60 to 65 hours a week, I would say, uh, working on different stuff. So that's, that's pretty much it, yeah. Andrew, I lost you. You muted, Andrew. Ah, uh, there. I, uh, I... I'm now so habituated to on Zoom, <laughs> hit mute when you're not talking, not be the person. You know what? It's not just me. First thing that happened in the pandemic when my kids started going home to do Zoom classes, the teacher taught them how to oh, get in the, the habit time. of hit mute right oh, away yeah. and uh, and unmute. And how many times did we hear, you're on mute, you're on mute? Uh, yeah, I wish that there was a way to uh, like to have you unmute me, but... Um, what I was starting to say was there's so many different things that I would love to talk to you about. I, I'd love to come back. I know a couple of years ago you had this issue um, with, you know, when we talk about, let's, this is such a negative thing to end on, but your life changed for the positive because it's of it. Not, it's not negative at all. It's what happened a couple of years ago? Positive. Yeah, tell me. Okay. <clears throat> so a few things happened. First of all, I sold my company, which was the event, the most stressful event I've never felt in my life really, really stressful and just like, this yeah, is premium rough. beat. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then I was two years at a public company in New York and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a public company and it's a big company and it was, 
complicated and I, I didn't really feel like I fit there. Uh, and it was, it was tough. And then I started to feel like I was more and more like kind of anxious and more uh, alert to like things and more jumpy. And my, I don't know, I, I, I wasn't feeling too good for a while. And then a few things happened. My son had a really big injury, which, you know, really bad, which I was a witness of, had to go to like emergency, big, big thing. And then we went to travel in Copenhagen and my girlfriend almost died because she got stung by a bee and got uh, almost like a blood infection. So not almost, she got a blood infection and almost died. So uh, it was really stressful. And I don't know, things kept accumulating. And then I came back and I had a big rush on with Noke. I think I was building a tool with Noke. And I just like forgot about everything and it just worked and worked and worked and worked. And at some point I felt my hands tingle and I was starting to have like trouble breathing. It's like, whoa, what's going on? I'm on the computer. I, have, I was doing nothing special. And I literally had a panic attack right there for no reason at all, just because my, my, my system was so like to the verge of breaking down. And so that was a really rough experience. A few weeks after that, I, I was really struggling. And I decided to change things because I had put aside my physical health for so long, thinking that I was a walking brain, essentially, like everything that's important is in the brain and the rest is like, it's all, you know, the brain. And now I know that everything's connected and I can't, I can't really have a fit brain if my body is not fit. So I, um, I actually started to go into like a deep, like, you know, wellness, meditation, research and all that stuff. And I did a lot of like crazy stuff, like reprogramming my brain. And I tried everything, trying to figure out what was wrong. You know, why, why am I so anxious all the time? And went back to even my childhood, what generated some stress and talked, talked it through. And over a year, I really came out of it. And I started doing yoga an hour a day. And I started just like taking walks all the time, meditating every day, eating it all better. And it completely changed my life. It changed how I build businesses. And uh, it, it changed, I mean, it changed everything. I, I feel like a different person. Yoga really. I, and walking and taking time for yourself. Yeah, meditation and, and yoga, just like taking the time and being consistent with taking the time to no matter what, Every morning you do an hour of yoga. So um, yeah, I was very. Uh, it was it was a year of of trying to figure out what works for me and get back to my you know healthy state, and I I did pretty well with that. And uh, a year ago, I actually started a new business, well, Design Stripe, with the purpose of well, basically with the intention of building a wellness first company. So I don't know if, if it really exists, but my I call it a wellness first company because the first person I hired was actually the director of culture, culture and people. So before hiring any developers, any like we hired a culture people, a culture person. So that's Jen and he, she's, she's like a absolute ray of sunshine in the company. And she had issues with, you know, anxiety and, you know, stuff like that before too. And 
So most of our team, by the way, I seem to connect with people who also have the drive to accomplish a lot. And these people often have anxiety issues, right? So when I interview people now, I tell them, hey, this is a wellness first company. We will pay for you to do an hour of wellness, whatever you want a day on the job, right? We pay people to do yoga an hour a day on the job if they want to. It's not, you know, uh, mandatory, but and we talk on a weekly basis, we talk about mental wellness and like what, what you know, sleep habits and nutrition. And it, it's just, it's part of the performance package as a professional. If you're not healthy, you're not a good professional. You can't feel like communicate. You, you can't interact well with other people. If you're not healthy, if you know, you could do a better job of explaining that on your, on your job site, because this is way bigger than that. You acknowledge when you say on your job site, look, we are, um, our values are focused on well-being, they're on flexibility, on optimism, on generosity. And then you do acknowledge, you say, sounds cheesy, we know. As hard, and then you continue to explain that it's not cheesy. I think the more specifics you give, like the fact that you hired, her name is Jen, right? The fact that you hired Jen, the fact that this is an issue, the more that you could bring that in, I think the more it'll really stand out because I've not seen a company that at your stage especially does this and is willing to not just talk about it, but invest and say, we'll pay you for an hour a day to do this and we'll be okay with it. Yeah. And it's not just that it's, I really, we develop a new perspective on, on how to build teams. At least for me, I didn't have that perspective before where it's radical candor and it's radical like self-awareness and uh, we will literally call ourselves out in the middle of a meeting if like you know we're we're i don't know we're getting distracted by shiny objects and we're excited about a project we might step back everyone together in a meeting hey guys are we bullshitting ourselves right now? Like, we, can we really accomplish this? Can like, not, not just going with everyone. And then after the meeting say, we're never going to get this done, right. you know, like actually being extremely candid. And um, we work on being really, really good at getting feedback and giving feedback. That's a huge part of what we do. Always getting feedback, giving feedback, getting good at that, getting good at meta work. So, everything that's around work so that, you know, the way you work, the way you communicate, the way you interact with people, the way you, you, you know, you, you uh, tackle challenges, meta work is extremely important. So we're very, very picky about all these elements of the business. And um, it's made a huge difference. We have a global team now of 32 people in 12, 13 countries speaking, I don't know how many languages. And uh, we have never seen each other because we started in a pandemic. So it's all random people. I reached out to this guy in Australia. He's not my partner. I reached out to this guy in uh, Argentina. He's not my partner. So now we have like a partnership with like on multiple continents. And it's, it's something I would have never thought possible before. And uh, it's, quite, it's quite fantastic. It's really fun. All right. The website is the website is Design Strive. I'm going to add myself to your wait list. And I'm going to say to anyone who goes on, I think one of, one of the things you should do is just look at the very bottom of the site, that little smiley face, tap it. It's a nice little <laughs> Easter egg on the side. And it just shows me the level of care you're putting into, into your products. I think you always had that. The little yes. details have always been cared for. Uh, all right, Francois, this was freaking phenomenal. I had no idea you were up to so much. Yeah, I'm pretty busy, huh? Yeah, impressive, impressive. And it also shows me that maybe I'm out of touch even with Canada. I did a marathon on every continent uh, a little over a year ago. And I wanted to interview people on all these different continents. And I realized 
I might have missed parts of North North America. I might have missed a lot that's going on in Canada. Come, come to realize. Montreal. We'll have a, we'll have a, go have a bite when it's when it's possible again. I'd love to. All right, man. Thanks so much for doing this interview. Thank you. Thank you all Thank for you listening to, to the interview. There's somebody right now who, like Francois, is listening and hustling on something. I would love to find out about you before you get to the point where you're ready to do an interview. Just say hi. I'm going to give you my email address, and I could do it thanks to SaneBox. They watch my email to make sure I don't get flooded. It's andrew at mixergy.com, and I will look and respond to every single one. I think, unless I make a mistake, but really, I want to respond to you. So message me, tell me what you're working on. And I want to thank two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you're hosting a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And the second, when you've got a team of people, go to rippling.com slash Mixergy. Thanks, Francois. Thanks a lot. Bye.